right. I am excited. All right, because we are here today with Elise Colleen of Stillmark for a Bitcoin VC series where we're having a little bit of fun. We're learning all of these players in this nascent Bitcoin venture capital uh, world that we're living in. And we have uh, not for long and not forever. And we have someone here with a ton of experience who I respect immensely. All right. We share some portfolio companies. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her history. Okay. The whole, we were here before you were born. Okay. Still Mark's been around or Elise has been in the Bitcoin VC land since 2013 and probably venture capital broadly more than that. And we're going to find out about that. So first off, welcome Elise. It took a while to get this booked, but I'm glad that we did. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to be here. It's always good to talk to you, Mike. All right, cool. So let's see if we can just first let everyone know who you are and what you do. And all right. So this is Elise, Elise Colleen on Twitter. She is with Stillmar. Okay. And this is everyone's favorite LinkedIn website here, which is very cool. Because she was previously a Blockstream, and maybe we can dig into that just a bit, and she can fill us in on what BitGive is as well. All right, so her company is Stillmark, and we're going to go over all of that. But first off, Elise, where are you today, and how's your day going? I am in Los Angeles, California. The sun is shining, and I have spent the entire day talking to Bitcoin-focused founders. So all is well, and I have no complaints today. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, okay? And, you know, it's a man's world, right? Venture capital, finance in general. It's a man's world, and it's such a nice, refreshing breath of fresh air to chat, with a woman in this space, not only a woman, but a powerhouse of a woman. So what do you think about that it being predominantly a man-dominated industry? Hmm. I think it is the world of, most productively, it's a world of folks that are curious, are comfortable asking questions, talking to people that are smarter with them or, or smarter than them or more studied than them or more expert than them in what they're building. And VC, you know, uh, success in VC historically lends itself to folks that have that curiosity, that, that humility and confidence to work with people that are going to push them to stretch their knowledge and their imagination. Um, and also at the same time, folks that are well-networked in their field of focus that are, have high EQ, that can connect founders in a smart and strategic way to other folks that can help them move the needle or accelerate growth. And I hope that that's what Stillmark, you know, how our founders think of us at Stillmark. And so we, you know, don't think of it as a world that exists um, in any one demographic, but a world that is sort of defined by the character and value system that you bring to it. And the opportunity in the Bitcoin space, of course, is that you know if it's a great place to get started because what bitcoin asks of the venture capitalists that participate in the field is to consider a new paradigm that can exist and which large-scale enterprise can be built upon and so that's the focus of stillmark okay 
Let's talk about back in 2013. Now, in 2013, it says here somewhere on the website, investing in in Bitcoin, Bitcoin VC since 2013. What was the industry like back then? What were you investing in and what roles? What, what were you seeing back then versus now? Yes, 2013 was very pleasant. And so I came into the Bitcoin field in 2013. I believe that I started my first set of investments in 2014, although started building relationships with founders and developers, of course, in advance of that. So in 2013, a Bitcoin conference looked a lot like maybe a hackathon. So it was very developer centric in terms of both speakers and folks in the audience. Conversations in the hallway were, you know, very robust, very high signal, low noise. And it was just a wonderful and really special time to enter the space. It still felt like you were entering really late. It felt like, you know, the folks that were there before you had such a greater base of knowledge and history. And so I think, you know, one of the charms of Bitcoin is that it always feels like you're late to come in when really, of course, we know that we're all still quite early. But the advantage of starting in 2013 was really um, what I said a moment ago, which was that there, the signal to noise ratio was much more in favor of the learner. And so if you went to search for information on Bitcoin, it was much easier to find the white paper, the you know thought leaders and people with the majority of YouTube views at that time were Andreas Antonopoulos and Adam Back, you know, and maybe like one or two podcasters whose guests were people like Andreas Antonopoulos and Adam Back. And of course, all of these people were purely focused on Bitcoin at the time. And so it was easier to understand, you know, where to dig, where to research, where to ask questions. And you know, the lack of presence of tokens or altcoins um, and narratives that are, you know, really intended for marketing versus for versus focused on anchored in substance. It just wasn't there. And so it was an easier time to, to study and meet people in the field for sure. So then at what point in time did you get involved with Blockstream? Okay, so in 2014, I met Blockstream and and Adam in LA, actually, and it was, you know, so in 2013, rewinding for a second, there were fewer people in Bitcoin, but the people that were suited for Bitcoin or to advance the field from a technological perspective were like assumable. So you could guess based on someone's background if they might be attracted to Bitcoin and if they might be capable of developing something that advanced Bitcoin. And so understanding Adam and his then co-founder Austin Hill's backgrounds at zero knowledge, without knowing that Blockstream was even an idea yet, I reached out to say to them, you know, hey, I with your backgrounds at zero knowledge and of course Adam with Hashcash, it makes sense to me that you might be thinking about building on Bitcoin. And if you are, it would be lovely to meet up. And I understand you'll be traveling to LA. And so this is how I connected with Blockstream. And it was really such a, um, you know, s sort of special time because the sorts of conversations that were happening then were, uh, you know, similar to what they are today. But of course, the design space was more open. 
And so it was about scale. It was about how to onboard the number of people that we have today and to do that in a safe way and without breaking the core promises of Bitcoin or in any way changing people's access to their, to their Bitcoin. Um, and, and so that's how we connected. And then fast forward to maybe 2018 or 2019, I'd have to have my LinkedIn page up in the background to know the date for sure. But I joined Blockstream's board of directors and I'm, I'm on the board of directors now as Blockstream's independent director. All right. Next question for you, just quickly, what is, is BitGive? So Bit and Connie Galeppi were one of was one of the first to consider how Bitcoin could serve a charitable purpose. And so what you could do, how an open ledger could create efficiencies and better incentives in the nonprofit space. And that's what BitGive was. So it was a first shot at bringing Bitcoin to communities that had need and that people wanted to donate to. And, and that was done in two ways. It was both through donations received in Bitcoin that were then passed to the target communities. And it was through application of the technology, just the open, the open ledger and having the ability to offer a value proposition to charitable donors to say, you can track your dollars, which of course is something very new and valuable in the nonprofit space. And so it was lovely to work with that team too. And I, I learned a lot and it was, you know, great to work with people that were exploring and innovating about the value of Bitcoin. And we're still doing All that, right. still doing the same thing today. Cool. Okay. So now that we got that all out of the way, let's have a little bit of an education. Okay. Let's learn something. And Elise knows what she's talking about. Okay. I mean, and seriously, you know, I'm, I'm not picking favorites, but uh, Elise is a favorite for sure. And she really knows what she's doing. So let's talk about a mandate and let's talk about a thesis. And let's talk about what the difference would be. Now you have two beautiful pages here on your website. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between a mandate and a thesis and how that comes into play? Sure. Okay. So Stillmark is a thesis driven fund. And what that means for us is that we have a set of developed from research and study of the field and based on past experience and access to proprietary knowledge, of course, that we generate from our pipeline and from our portfolio companies, we have a set of hypotheses about how the space of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin field will develop and how it will you know, allow for companies in the private market to create additional value and to accrue value, right? And so that's that's what our investment thesis would be. So it can be as simple as as simple as that a new economy is developing on top of Bitcoin, for example. And to say that now, of course, seems sort of obvious, but this is one of the foundational investment hypotheses or theses that were that existed when when we were incorporating Stillmark in 2018, which was that you know it's not just that Bitcoin will be you know, something that is considered a store of value and kept with the custodian, but that an ecosystem of companies will develop and flourish to provide 
and extend the value of Bitcoin, whether that be through self-custody, through the provision of proof of reserve software that can allow you to use your Bitcoin to secure credit, whether that means that there be second layer technologies that companies can build upon and that payments would be accepted. We expected for an ecosystem to develop and that justified the fund. So that's that's an example of a thesis. And with every subsequent fund, we revise those investment theses to account for how the ecosystem has matured and how the technology has been, the underlying protocol has been maintained or advanced. For example, since we started fund one, we've seen Taproot be activated. And so what does that unlock in terms of potential or our expectations, you know, that might drive innovation and startup, you know, startup opportunity that would be relevant for subsequent funds. So that's investment theses. And then mandate is how we organize what we'll be focused on in terms of how we add to our portfolio. So for fund one, we had three buckets or three forms of mandate. And that first was the financialization of BTC, the asset. The second was second layer technologies built on Bitcoin and apps or infrastructure that leveraged those technologies. And then third was mining. And Stillmark, when focusing on mining, tends to focus on software. But of course, we've invested in mining itself too. And so that's how we defined our mandate for Fund One. All right. Cool. If you're reaching out to Stillmark or you think you you know, want to pitch them and get in touch, you can see here clearly that they're investing in pre-seed to series A. That's that must be your sweet spot, right? Is that right. is that pretty much a, a sweet spot of of where that first fund is? And is that going to be the same for the second fund? And you know, can you talk a little bit about where you're at in the deploying yes. and, and raising sure. cycle? Well, we don't so this can be confusing for founders or for even fund managers sometimes. But of course we don't talk about fundraising and see guidelines prohibit that. Now, good for founders to know that if you're curious about how a fund talks about, or a firm, a VC firm talks about the funds that they manage, that's public information, in fact. So you can search for information about a fund and see the assets that they've raised or have under management. It's all publicly accessible information. Stillmark and other institutional style venture capital funds are not going to publicly market new funds. And so we don't. Today, Stillmark is focused on pre-seed, seed, and Series A companies, but we have also organized special purpose funds to do later stage investments in breakout companies or companies that are defining or leading their category. And so we can really flex up and down to work with um, the founders that are in the forefront of the field. And that's what we're trying to do. So my hope is that founders will reach out, you know, even before they're thinking about raising capital to see, to get to know Stillmark and so that we can get to know them. And if there's a reason, um, or it seems that we should work together, we can generally figure that out regardless of the stage of the company. You asked about um, funds, I think, and we 
you know, so I think the best information for founders is what's on the website, which is that our general first check in ranges between 200K and I think 3.5 million. Mike, if you have the website up, yeah. um, I think that's right. But we're pretty flexible. And the idea is just to be a good partner to the founders we work with. Yeah, and this is this is a great read here for anyone who wants to go to stillmark.com and read what they've written here. And yeah, it's it's very transparent. Their initial capital commitment is typically between 250,000 and 3 million but can be adjusted up or down. That's great. So, okay, Elise, we could sit here and we could talk forever, but we got to keep it moving, right? I got to keep it moving. All right, so let's go over some fun portfolio companies, all right, that that we share first and talk about what rounds you've led. Do you typically like to lead or have you been uh, joining? And maybe we can chat about party rounds and all sorts of things. So look at these beautiful companies here. Wow, Lightning Labs. When was this fund, this vintage fund happen? That's and a can great you explain question. a little bit about that cycle? Yes, so the fund, fund one started deploying or building our portfolio in the second half of 2019. And, and we will conclude fund one deployment in the coming months. And we begin investing from our second fund in the second half of last year. So the, but the portfolio companies that you see here represent activity across the spectrum. So it's both fund one, fund two, as, as well as special purpose funds that we've put together for later stage rounds. So I love the question you asked about how we like to participate in a funding round, because I, I can say again to you, as I answered an earlier question, we like to do whatever makes most sense for that founder group and the company at the time. So we have led rounds, we've co-led rounds, but we can also participate in the syndicate. And it's just sort of about both what the founder or founding team wants and also what makes makes most sense. So as an example, um, we, let's see, I'm trying to remember what's public information and what's not. So Gridless, we co-led their seed round with Block. And Gridless, of course, is a mining company based in Kenya. And let's see, what's a good, and some of this is just not announced yet. <laughs> Lightning Labs, we participated as part of a larger group. So we didn't co-lead or lead those rounds, but we're very happy to participate, to follow the lead in those rounds. And we started investing in Lightning Labs in the Series A. And then Sphinx and Stack, Stillmark led that seed round. There's a couple examples of when we've led, co-led, and just participated in a round. And always just to match, you know, sort of what the founder is asking for us, from us and what makes most sense um, to get the company through a really, you know, secure and healthy financing. Okay. Just to get the timeline right now, fund one, when was that fully deployed? Fund one will be fully deployed in the coming months. Okay. And then fund two has, has started cutting checks. Where is that yes. in the cycle? You're, so you're deploying out of fund two as well. Now, is right. that something where you can raise as you deploy or? 
How, how, how well, we does don't, that work? We, like I said a moment ago, we don't talk about fundraising, but ah. funds in general, you know, there's a lot of, so this is about when you ask a question like that, it's really about the style of the firm. And so some firms will, many firms, and the firms that I've worked with before starting Stillmark will raise and then just keep working. And so there's a lot less of, you know, announcing announcements and, and that's more of our culture at Stillmark too. And so if you, you know, you won't find an announcement of fund one, for example, if you go back and look, but you know, of course that's something that happened years ago. And instead what we really, and by not announcing those things and planning for announcements of those things, it gives us more time to focus on supporting our portfolio companies. And so our real work, of course, we need to think about capitalizing the funds so that we can continue investing in founders that are, you know, leading in the field. But our real work is about meeting with the folks that are building, figuring out the best match between startups and Stillmark. And so making those new investments when we find a match and then rolling up our sleeves and getting to work with teams, you know, as is suited to that team. And I know that that's, you know, that I'm speaking your language here, Mike, and that this is something, you know, sort of like exactly up your alley, the focus on what people call portfolio management or just being in the trenches with founders when they ask. And so that's how we think about our job. On on one hand, it's, you know, to represent our own investors and to make sure that we're getting to know all the innovators in the field and then partnering with those when there's a match. And on the other hand, you know, it's, it's really about being an extension of a portfolio company's team and trying to do the things that will help them accelerate growth. So we're never, we're not investing because in companies, because we, we think that with our investment, that company can succeed. We're investing in companies where we see that they're on a path for success. The founder is clearly competent to execute, you know, the vision that they have. And what we hope to do is just accelerate their path and maybe make it a little less frictionful for them. And that's the sort of partnership that, you know, we're trying to bring to the table. Okay. So let's talk about the current state of Bitcoin VC land coming out of a bear market, coming out of Silicon Valley Bank and a lot of the other regionals and choke point 2.0 and the price being depressed and all of that with how difficult it is for founders right now or entrepreneurs trying to raise money, the speed at which deals are done. What's your overall take on where the market is now? So I don't think so the the market for startups in 2024 is expected to be similar to 2023. So it should be a depressed year for venture capital deployment. Um, but we've seen much less of an impact at the seed stage or earlier than other than later stages. And so companies that are looking to raise series A's or series B or growth stage capital, those are the companies that are, you know, under pressure to make sure that their metrics are, that they're overachieving in their metrics, that they're demonstrating growth and that they're leading in their category and that the story they're telling links to a large and growing market. But, but I think that in 2024, if you're raising seed capital, 
whether you be a Bitcoin company or a general tech or consumer focused company, you know, it should be an okay year. It should be a just fine year to raise money. And we're not seeing much impact of a depressed market on valuations for seed stage companies. That's for sure. And, you know, that's good. I think that that's good from the founder's perspective. And, you, you know, I mean, you, you want to be one of the best things and advantages I think that Bitcoin founders have is just the history of what it's meant to be a founder in the Bitcoin field, which is that it's always been rough because of the cycles, Bitcoin cycles, the fact that the Bitcoin price has seemed to be linked to investor appetite um, for Bitcoin companies. And so Bitcoin entrepreneurs and their teams have never really taken a, they've always taken a lot of agency in, in company health. And so people have always aimed for longer runways for understanding the path to profitability, which means, you know, independence. And, you know, I think that that has all that sort of grit and um, agency has always served founders in the space very well. You've seen people be able to last well through cycles and um, there's a culture to that. And, and Bitcoin founders and innovation has thrived irrespective of where the macro environment or Bitcoin environment have been. That's what, that's what we've you know, seen in our pipeline and portfolio at least. Okay, so speaking of appetite, Okay, and flavor. Now, I had the complete wrong idea about Stillmark and about Elise's flavor, and I thought it was mainly infrastructure, because when you think about Amboss and Voltage, Lightning Labs, Ibex, a lot of infrastructure there, but there's actually a lot of fun there too, right? You look at Pink Frog, which we know very well in Lightning Ventures. Um, Striga is a lot of exposure to Europe. Uh, there's m m there's mining in there with Gridless and Satoshi Energy. Uh, meanwhile, uh, is a company I'm very excited about in the insurance space. You know, so she's really you're really all over there. I want to just talk about your like sweet spot in terms of have you done a lot of pre-product or do you want to see some sort of revenue and traction? Sort of what is your sweet spot in terms of of that? Um, so that, that's a great question, but it doesn't matter. It just, it depends on that's relevant for the valuation and the stage of the company. But the way that we think of Stillmark is as a generalist fund with uh, expertise and, you know, hopefully exceptional competence in the Bitcoin space. And so we are, what we do with that position is that we study the ecosystem and the protocols to understand what the ecosystem and the technology is ready for or where we are at in the innovation cycle. And so it's not that we're looking to be an infrastructure fund. It's that when Stillmark launched with Fund One in late 2019, it was most appropriate to be focused on, on infrastructure. And it was both this sort of hard infrastructure with Lightning Labs and Voltage, and also these, you know, softer elements of infrastructure with things like multi-sig infrastructure for retail through Casa, or through Hoseki, which does proof of reserves, which has a value proposition for both retail and for enterprise, of course. And so, th these were the things that needed to be developed and needed to exist 
in order for the ecosystem to flourish and to continue to grow and to onboard new users, including users that might have a higher uh, demand on what Bitcoin could do or Lightning could do in order to integrate. A great example of that, I think, is Amboss. And that, you know, this is, of course, an infrastructure, an infrastructure investment or, you know, an enterprise software investment in a company that provides tools that enterprise and financial institutions are just simply going to need in order to want to take um, any sort of chance on lightning. So, of course, enterprise and financial institutions are very interested in more efficient payments, more efficient cross-border payments, an opportunity to do micropayments, split automatic split payments, this sort of smart contracting capability that Lightning has inherently, but they're not going to do that at the risk of being, of having unreliable payments or of breaking internal compliance protocols or anything like this. They're not going to degrade the payment experience or increase the risk that they face in um, payment operations in order to gain efficiencies in payments. They're happy enough with how things are. And so in order to access the 10X better experience or 100X better experience that Lightning provides, you have to check the boxes that technology like Amboss allows them to check. And, and thus Amboss is a very important investment for Stillmark Fund One. And so it's, I use that as an example to say that it's not that we're focused more on infrastructure than on, than on any other piece of the ecosystem, but that infrastructure was what was developing and most important when Stillmark Fund One activated. And so we'll always be watching where the protocols are, what needs to come next to continue to scale the ecosystem, to continue to allow adoption, to expand utility, what comes next. And then that will determine where we're focused on within a, a particular fund or within a particular year. Okay. <clears throat> so let's talk about particular funds and particular years. So in Bitcoin venture capital land, a lot of these funds were deployed are, are new and were deployed during a pretty hot market for the most part. So some of it was deployed more recently in a not so hot market, which is a whole nother thing. But how do you feel when the scorecards come in from just the pure timing from a vintage level? You look back at a 2013 YC fund and a lot of the things that kind of came out of those certain periods. You had your Instacarts, your Ubers, so many, right? Slack, everything that we use today that kind of comes from this area, Coinbase even. And as opposed to where we're investing or have invested uh, recently, right, the, the, the bulk of the funds or maybe it's 50% of the fund or however it turns out, do you think we'll be okay? How do, how do you think that, that those cards are going to come out of the deck in terms of, you know, the old way? If money was easy, you could just raise another 18 months. Now you have to execute. You have to have a path to profitability. Like we've swung back. How do you feel about some of these Bitcoin funds and the recent deployment period? Hmm. That's a good question. So I, I think that valuations have been less volatile than 
might be expected given the volatility in the macro environment over the course of the past four or five years. You know, there were, we do look at fund performance and activity by year. And there's certainly some years where, and, and we're a very early fund, right? So we don't, you know, a fund life cycle is 10 to 12 years when you're focused on pre-seed and seed stage. And so there's a lot of information that we don't have about which will have been the important years for Stillmark Fund 1, for example. But we do know that relative to the world of venture capital, so not Bitcoin funds specifically, but just venture capital, technology venture capital generally, that a Bitcoin venture capital fund it can match top quartile performance and, and outperform that. And we have enough data now to know that. And, you know, I think that... I think that there will be years that are more important and that will be what will affect that is the information and the technological advancement that founders have to work with those years. So to give you an example, the information that we gained about what people in emerging markets want from Bitcoin through the El Salvador airdrop experiment when they adopted BTC as legal tender and then airdropped $30 of BTC to most of their adult citizens, that data from how Bitcoin was used, both the qualitative data from what people said, and then the just the quantitative data, what was measurable in terms of seeing the activity brought us to a place where we'll have taproot assets and USDT and stables on lightning soon, I, I expect. And, you know, to have launched a lightning infrastructure company after that data was available, you know, and you could sort of understand where lightning might go because of, you know, the information, this, the data that, you know, we were able to get from that experiment, you know, put a company in good position. As an example, you know, the period after that was probably a really good year to start thinking through lightning infrastructure product. And there'll be other events like that as well. And that's really hard to, to figure out in time, like where the inflection points in terms of learning or tech, technological advancements will be, which is one of the reasons why time diversification across a fund is important. You know, and this is not specific to Bitcoin VC investments, but just generally in tech. There had been historically funds would be deployed over four years or maybe more than four years, maybe four to five years. And in, you know, in the, in 2019, 2018, those years, the time periods have sort of gotten compressed and you would see funds deployed over a two year period or more quickly. And then that limits the time diversification that the fund has, of course. And so you sort of get, you know, less opportunities to, to see these inflection points and be able to invest with the benefit of that. But Stillmark wants that diversification and so has these longer deployment cycles and the fund is sized accordingly for that. And so we're, we're looking to have a full four-year deployment cycle and have that time diversification to offer to our investors. So what's interesting about this industry, because, you know, founders don't often realize that we pitch as well. You know, you, you have so much empathy because they're going out, they're getting smacked around. It's hard to raise around, to put together, to find a lead, to get, you know, we call them anchor 
LPs really in our world. They call them leads for the most part, but significant capital. And we have to go out there and, and do the same thing. And if you had to count the Bitcoin VCs, you could probably get them down to one hand right now, really. And there's a lot of other funds that maybe participate in rounds, you know, but there's not a lot. So in an early industry like Bitcoin, how do, what comps do you use? How do you how do you value this? And, and VC as a whole, right? Early stage investing as a whole is is a great performs right small funds outperform large funds okay but what do you what comps do you use really or how do you think about it okay well you know venture capital as an as an industry has the opportunity to perform but a top quartile fund for most vintage years as defined by a you know an approximately 3x cash on cash return so that's top quartile, right? So if you're looking at, you know, a sort of like a midline fund, you know, I don't know that, you know, as a class, it's not just that because you have a venture capital fund or venture capital exposure that you're going to um, realize great returns. I think that's certainly not the case. And with that in mind, you know, I, I think the best firms organize their work and processes to make sure that they, you know, are working from investment hypotheses, that there's a clear mandate, that they understand the markets and the market sizes that they're investing in, and make attempts to be very strategic in how the portfolio is built. Anyhow, so when we think about our own fund performance, we're thinking really about general industry benchmarks and those measurements and and. Those are reported in a variety of ways. As an example, Cambridge Associates puts out an annual review of uh, vintage year funds and quartile performance. So you can understand where even if you're early in your fund cycle, how you're performing against your peers, which are not just other Bitcoin VC funds, of course, but just, you know, the general VC space. And then what else is important? So I think that's important from, from our perspective. It's also important, you know, some of like the softer feedback that you get. You know, we care a lot about what the, how the founders in our portfolio feel about the portfolio and our work in general. You know, we want, so there's a, a type of quality check there and that sort of feedback. We also want to make sure that, you know, that um, that when we're talking with founders, whether they be in our portfolio or not, that there's a sense that they can trust us and that we're not, you know, looking to extract value, but that we're there to be a partner. And at least, you know, if not, a if it's not a portfolio company we're talking to, maybe even just a thought partner. And so there's the softer elements of feedback that are just as important as the things that you can quantify. And, and it's all quite related. So in order to be firmed that performs well in a, in a quantifiable way, in terms of the returns that you're producing, you have to be, I think, a firm that is known as a good partner to founders, you know, a fair partner to companies 
that they speak to, but don't partner with, right? You want to be known as a good actor in the space and that's harder to measure, but it's something that we try to keep track of and is, you know, one of our highest values in terms of how we organize our engagement with entrepreneurs. All right, cool. What else? We are almost done here. Do you have anything that you want to chat about? Anything that you want to say? Anything? What do you think? Well, that is a great question, Mike. What do you want to see? What do you want to see? Well, let me ask you this. I'll put you on the spot. What do you want to see from Stillmark as the firm grows and matures? Honestly, I think that you guys are killing it. And I really enjoy working with you on every deal that we've co-invested in. You've been incredibly helpful. And, you know, I like the fact that you include us Lightning Ventures people over here. And I'm sure that everyone in our group appreciates that as well. And I'm thankful that you, you know, see our value and see what we do. Yes. And it's, it's, you know, we, we have a lot that we can learn from someone like yourself when you're talking about mandates and theses and investing in leading rounds and term sheets and all these kind of educational things that it would be great to get out to people. Um, well, we feel else? like, I, I always feel like we, I learn from my conversations with you too, Mike. And, you know, I, I'm always happy to share information about how you know, our fund works, our firm works about things I've learned in venture, because I think that as the Bitcoin venture capital space matures, it's good for all of us. And it's certainly good for founders and, and entrepreneurship in the field. And so we're all really on the same team. And it feels like we're quite aligned on that belief. And it's a pleasure to work with someone like that. I'm glad we get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Completely. And, you know, when you think about a 3X and then you think about some of the top performing funds and some of those vintage years and right place, right time, lightning in a bottle sectors, I think it's incredibly important the luck factor that there is investing in a venture capacity into the future of money, the technology of money. This is not drone drug delivery. That's great and all. I love drone deli the drug delivery. I'm probably in 30 of those companies. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's fun. Okay. Or, you know, all of that stuff is fun, but we are dealing with Bitcoin. We are dealing with the most important and coolest thing on the planet. And darn it, yeah. I can't wait till some of the report cards start coming in on some of these investments. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's certainly, it's really lovely to be able to focus on something that can be a positive cultural movement that creates greater financial freedom and democratizes access to financial tools. So that's why we started. That's why we wanted to focus on the space. And I feel really grateful to have the limited partners that support us in doing that and see value in this. And for the founders that we've been able to partner with that I think are just the most stellar group. And, you know, it's just every, every day I feel grateful to be doing what I'm doing. And of course, we're not, we're aiming for much more than 3x returns, but want to note and be grounded in the fact that, you know, simply doing the job is simply writing checks is just not enough. There's a lot more to it than that. And so we have to make sure that we're not, you know, distracted 
by announcing announcements or being too, you know, self-congratulatory over things that, you know, don't make much sense and really drill down on the ways that we can help companies advance and, you know, gain adoption, expand Bitcoin's utility. And I hope that's what we're doing. So I'm glad that we get to partner on some of this, Mike, and I appreciate you having me on to chat about it. All right, cool. And where will I see you in person? You haven't been hitting a lot of events. You've been working pretty hard. Where are you going to be next in real life? I am not sure. I, we're, I'm working that out. So we're trying to, yeah, make sure that we're getting good ROI in our time. Where, will, okay. where should I see you next? Recommend it to me. Well, no idea. I mean, I like to go to the places I've never been and want to go. Madeira's on the, on the list and, and Prague was great last year. And I'm sure Nashville will be fun. We're going to, maybe we'll get you out there for a Satoshi Rakamoto if, if we get you to Nashville and are doing something like that. That sounds awesome. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll check the calendars. All right. Well, listen, thanks for hanging and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Thank <laughs> you.